This morning's Bible reading is in John chapter 4, verses 4 to 26, 39 to 42. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons? And his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must go worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. 
And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This is the word of God. Thank you, Bernard. That was very well read and um, you put feeling into that. And thank you, Rickard, for your leadership this morning as well. Uh, today we're following the lectionary, um, the third Sunday in Lent. And I might just explain I'm here because I'm on an exchange with Jonathan. But he didn't keep his part of the deal, unfortunately. He, he is not well. He uh, became sick at the very last moment. And so someone from this congregation or from the village, uh, Alison Cameron, uh, she's uh, at the last minute preparing or has prepared something and is speaking over at the village. But I'm here and I want to share with you this morning something that's taken me, <laughs> I don't know whether it's old age or what it is, but it, it's taking me longer and longer to prepare sermons. Um, but maybe that's God's way of uh, just letting it sink in and um, and uh, to speak to my heart as well as this morning uh, through God's Spirit speak to your hearts as well. We've all had an unexpected meeting with somebody and after the event we tell someone, guess who I bumped into today? Or I sat next to this person in the bus and they had the most intriguing story. It was extraordinary. And sometimes those those encounters can be life-changing. There have been many uh, such encounters in my life which have been uh, life-changing and also formed lasting friendships. Can I just relate too? My ambition in life as I was growing up was to be a station master. Well, you'd understand that because I came from Peterborough, a railway town, and every town had a station master, even White Jar Cowie, and uh, I'm not sure about Eulaloo, but uh, certainly uh, going up the Broken Hill line, there were station masters. So uh, it looked a very secure role in life. And uh, now you go through, you know, Hamley Bridge. Where's the railway station? Well, it's still there, uh, but not in use. And I was all set to have a medical examination in Adelaide. We had to sort of leave at 4.15 in the morning at Peterborough and go to Adelaide uh, and have a medical examination to join the railways. Um, the night before I was to, to catch the train the personnel officer who, who was, happened to be the best man for my father uh, when he married, uh, he just rocked up and, and um, he told my parents that the best thing for me was to return to school, not to pursue, um, you know, being a, I suppose in those days, would have been a porter first of all. Don't pursue that, but um, go back to school and... Uh, see what happens then. And that happened, 1956, I went back to school. I was a, uh, 
a prefect and a house captain, and also that year I, I confirmed my faith uh, when the Baptist Church showed a Billy Graham field, film called Mr Texas and uh, I became a Christian. And, of course, uh, I didn't become a station master at all. Uh, I came to Adelaide and uh, God had me in a different direction that I should go to a Bible college and then a theological college. The other example took part in 1965. You listening, Anne? Because this is about you. <laughs> I've told this story lots of times. And, um, but in 1965, I was at the Baptist College and uh, there was a shoe shop on Goodwood Road opposite the old Goodwood Baptist Church. When I took a pair of uh, shoes in to be half-soled, half-sold, S-O-U-L-E-D. Is it? No, S-O-L-E-D. <laughs> well, anyhow, one of those solds <laughs> to be repaired. Uh, I was served by a middle-aged woman. Uh, and unknown to me, there was another shop assistant uh, in that shop uh, who said to this shop assistant, when he comes back next time, I want to serve him. And uh, so I, I, uh, I went back there and the encounter was uh, quite friendly. And to make an immediate impression, uh, I took out my checkbook and wrote my address on the back. <laughs> Baptist Theological College, 84 Northgate Street, Unley Park. We didn't have credit cards, of course, in those days and little did the woman realise that um, I think I'd just had enough in my bank account to pay for the repairs. Anyway, that was a nice encounter. But months later, after attending the Unley Park Baptist Church, a young, and I've put in brackets here, and attractive... <laughs> <laughs> A young woman came up to me and said, remember me? You came into my father's shoe shop uh, and the rest, as we say, is history. <laughs> That's the other students at Baptist Church would say, where's Gordon? Oh, he's down behind the shoe boxes. And no, I, I, I agree with you, it was good to marry someone who looked after my soul. <laughs> I dare say that others today can recount an event in your life where it was life-changing. I'm always amazed by the way that God works these things out. How, how God plans for this person or that person to pass, uh, to go across your path. And in his planning, he has ways of just simply fitting all those pieces together. And these encounters are not coincidental, but a piece of God's divine prov providential plan. John's uh, uh, gospel uh, belongs in a community which uh, loved symbols. It speaks of light and bread, water 
and wine. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus used that, that experience to talk about the bread of life. In the blind, with the blind man in John chapter 9, he used that to reflect on the fact that he was the light of the world. In raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11, Jesus declared a spiritual resurrection and life. In today, we are thinking about living water. Early in John's Gospel, uh, there is an earlier encounter, and that is of Nicodemus, who was a powerful, respected Jewish trained theologian, a ruler and aristocrat, who comes to Jesus under the cover of night to secretly meet with Jesus. He comes with certain expectations but leaves having heard quite another story. Then in chapter 4 we read of the story of the Samaritan woman or the woman of Samaria. And she comes in broad daylight at the hottest part of the day at a well with a history as old as Israel itself because it was here that Jacob rested and... uh, took water. There is a long tradition of biblical interpretation which concludes that this woman must have been very sinful. Well, there's lots of debate about this and it depends on um, which interpretation you want to, want to make. Was she really, really bad or was she just unfortunate? The fact that she had been divorced uh, five times, what does that mean? Well, in those days, divorce was not a matter for women at all. She had been rejected by five men. She had had no choice in the matter. There were five men who decided that she wasn't worthy of them. And the man that she was living with at the time didn't even think that she was worth marrying. And she met, uh, therefore, uh, constant shame, ridicule and scorn. This particular reading has been dubbed the Samaritan woman, the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well, and it is a fascinating narrative and worthy to examine closely. In this narrative, we find the, the longest conversation that Jesus had with a person, So let's dig into the word. Leaving Judea uh, in the south, Jesus intended to travel to Galilee in the north and to do so, uh, you pass through Samaria. But geographically, Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. Most Jews would go around the country of Samaria because there were constant attacks of pilgrims in Samaria. But it was God's intention for his son. It was God's intention by reaching the Samaritans that Jesus should go through Samaria. And it's interesting that in the that narrative, it said Jesus had to. There there was some compulsion. God was leading him 
God was saying, this is the way that you should go. For centuries, Samaritans and Jews occupied neighbouring lands and practised similar worship, similar religions, while actively expressing feelings of animosity toward each other. Jews and Samaritans were deeply mistrustful of one another. Jews believed that the centre of worship was in Jerusalem. The Samaritans believed that that centre was on Mount Gerizim. Men didn't talk to women in public places. Well, it was the woman of bad character, as some agree. I'll leave that to you to determine. And there in the heat of the day, Jesus found himself exhausted and alone by Jacob's well, which is still there, by the way, and you can still drink water from it. And along comes a Samaritan woman to to draw water. And Jesus uh, meets us where we are and draws us to places we never thought we'd go. And Jesus begins a conversation with this woman. Jesus said to her, will you, will you give me a drink? Now Jews were never to share eating nor drinking vessels with Samaritans. And yet Jesus is asking this woman for, for a drink. Her response is not one of neighbourly love or hospitality. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? The woman is naturally suspicious of the man who asks her for a drink. Today, in our conversations with people, in our encounters, we we too must navigate profound divisions and they seem to be growing. Politically, people are different. Racially, socio-economically, religiously, and there are matters concerning gender. But Jesus fails to follow the culturally accepted script. He talks to her. He listens to her. He sees her as a woman without any labels at all. And Jesus keeps the conversation going. With a teasing double meaning, flavour to it, Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, not him asking you, and he would have given you living water. Now Jesus offers He offers her water, but not, of course, the usual kind. He's talking about spiritual water. And she is listening, of course, at the earthly, the physical level. She's thinking about natural water down in the well. He speaks about God in ways she's never heard before. And he welcomes the opportunity now to engage with her, to converse with her, despite the things that should divide each other. And what is the primary gift that 
the Lord God wants to give each one of us here on earth, it's the living water of God. Who is Jesus? He is the one that gives this living water. Well, the woman says, well, you're going to give me water, but you have no vessel. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our fathers, our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also his sons and livestock? Jacob's well, incidentally, was 38 metres deep and dropped straight down, not to a spring, but to an underground stream. Uh, Centuries ago, the underground waters of the stream were called living waters. And today, as I've said before, these waters are still flowing underneath the ground, like an underground river. The old well is still working centuries later and tourists to the Holy Land can drink there still. And Jesus uh, replied, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give, they will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The water in a well just sits there, but Jesus invites her to a spring which, if she allows him to place the spring within her, the spring will never cease, but will continue to bubble up forever. And Jesus promises to be, to be the spring of life within anyone who will come to him, recognising their extreme need of the life that only he can give. And this living water is the, is the gift of God. Jesus is not talking about HTO. He is talking about his life-giving spirit which will bring a person from death to life. Well, the woman said, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and I won't have to keep coming back here to draw water. Then there is a change in discussion. Go and get your husband and uh, bring him back. The woman says, uh, I have no husband. One can uh, almost hear the thud of her response. Quiet, defeated, maybe ashamed, She looks at Jesus and studies him and listens to him and almost believes in him. Jesus said, look, you're right in saying that. I've no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. Why does Jesus go to this issue and not some other? Is her sexuality the issue? A sense that she engages in serial relationships? So here we have have a new start. But the language still remains that of a relationship. 
she admits she has no husband and Jesus affirms her truth after describing a lengthy marital history that is doubtless very unhappy. Jesus never condemned anybody whom he had encounters. We think of Zacchaeus. He was a fraudulent tax collector who did receive the living water that is the spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit, but Zacchaeus was not condemned by Jesus. It is the living, it is the spirit of Jesus living in our spirit that Jesus is talking about as being living water. This living water will flow from our hearts like a flowing river. There will be love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. These qualities will flow from within us and bring life to all that we touch. Jesus got very personal with the woman at the well and Jesus gets very personal with us as well. Like this woman, uh, people do try these psychological tricks to avoid the personal encounter of Jesus. But miraculously, Jesus knew her personal history. Similarly and miraculously, Jesus knows our own personal history and he asks us personal questions that no one would think to ask. We all know this about Jesus, that he knows our secret lives that we pretend are not there. Well, things are getting pretty hot in this, in this encounter, aren't they? Her, her reaction is, is a classic example of shifting the conversation and trying to justify your position. Put your finger on someone's sore spot and people start talking about something else. Often it goes back 30 years when they talk about the Reverend John Smith at some remote church and what he said or did or about a petty disagreement that took place uh, amongst a a church membership. No, they're, they're all excuses. Who did so-and-so marry in the Bible. They're sort of meant to be off-putting. I'm getting uncomfortable. Let's talk about something else. And she does try to put him off and she says, you Jews and we Samaritans, we worship at different places. And Jesus responds that the hour is coming when the spirit of the true God will not be worshipped in the holy city of Jerusalem, nor on Mount Gerizim. In fact, the time has has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. And verse 24 says, 
God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. People were were insisting that God had to be worshipped in certain ways. For example, Samaritans wanted people to worship like Samaritans and Jews wanted people to worship like them. But Jesus said there would come a time when all people would worship God in spirit and in truth. So she tries a different tack and perhaps this will put the stranger off. She says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. She says brightly, why don't we wait till, till then? And this Messiah can make it clear. And Jesus confirms her hope. That's me. I am him. I am the Messiah. This, of course, is the central truth of the Gospel of John and is the only time that Jesus reveals this truth to another person. Of course, the I am of verse 26 in this narrative is the I am of the sacred name of God revealed to Moses at the burning bush and fulfills the promise of verse 10. Jesus presents himself as the fulfilment of covenant, of worship and messianic expectations of both Jews and Samaritans. Then the disciples uh, return from their shopping spree and are surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman but no questions are made of him. They know that Jesus breaks down the barriers of condemnation. Leaving the water jar behind, the woman leaves transformed. Maybe it's a you know, if you believe in symbolic language, you know, she leaves the jar there. Symbolic may be that she's leaving behind her, her past life. And she's now inspired to share the good news of this unlikely encounter with her community. The news that there is more to God than worshipping God in the right spot. The news that God m- might just be bigger than they thought, big enough in fact to hold together both Jews and Samaritans. Now she becomes the first evangelist to the Samaritan people. She says, come, see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Could this be the long-expected Messiah? A reader can feel the excitement in her voice. Even though muddled in her thinking, she's developing a spiritual hunger and she's ready to hear more what Jesus says. Come, she says to her fellow villagers, come and see this man. And these words are at the heart of every witness for Jesus Christ. Friend, Come and see the one who can give you living water. The last part of this narrative, of course, is that 
many Samaritans believe through the testimony of this woman. Invited, Jesus spends two days with the Samaritans. The villagers believe the woman's testimony and the words of Jesus. You know, whatever it was that the woman told them, she did it in such a way that her conversation with Jesus was was filtered through her, her limited understanding of who Jesus was. What can, what can we share in our encounters? The most powerful tool for evangelism, of course, is sharing our own personal testimony of the way that God has worked in our lives. Each of us has a story. We don't have to manufacture it in that we were the worst sinner in in the world and God stepped in and so on. Some of us have dramatic stories about our conversions. We are to learn to tell our story in a personal and bold way. And it's not about what we know, it's about who we know. It's about having an encounter, experiencing the light of Jesus' truth and love shining on our past and future. It's about being witnesses to his abundant grace, gushing up to eternal life. So whilst our testimonies may get someone's attention initially, ultimately it has to be the Spirit of Christ working in people's lives to who we witness to in a unique way. And this story sharing of ours is not to be a call to a complex system of beliefs, but simply to believe that Jesus really is from God and that to relate to him is to relate to God. He is God's word made flesh. There comes a time when a person finally and personally knows that Jesus is true, that God is true, that the living water is true and that they need to drink of this living water. Well, our Lord provides us his messengers of love and grace, unique opportunities to share the good news that he is the source of living water. Maybe you'll have an encounter this week, this month, to share your story. Are you ready? May God bless that word this morning.